Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post game. Oh, my mic's muted. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another post game live here on Dime Dropper for the 2023 NBA playoffs. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Also, make sure to hit the notification bell so you know every single time I go live. And of course, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod as we see. A comment already from the crowd. Phil, what's up, Laker gang? Shout out to the people in the live tonight. Coming to you live from Los Angeles late on a Sunday night. Technically, it's Monday morning. But I had to make sure I got this out and watch as many games as I could. On today's agenda, we're going to go Lakers-Warriors game three. Followed by the Celtics and the Sixers games three and four. And then we're going to talk about the Knicks and the Heat game three. And the Suns and the Nuggets game three. Apologies. To everybody, I will not be able to do the electric, I heard, Suns and Nuggets game four. Sadly, I did not get to watch it. I just didn't have the time, but I will, and I will talk about it on tomorrow's live after game four of the Lakers series and game four of the Knicks series. But let's get right into it. By the way, before I start, though, on the Lakers series, I want to say this uh, to everybody. Um, A big shout out. To LeBron James Jr., Bronny James, USC. I mean, listen, man, I'm a USC fan because my dad went there and I saw him graduate when I was seven years old. Believe it or not, I was a USC Trojans fan before I was even a Clipper fan. Reggie Bush was my first sports idol. If you've listened to me from the beginning, you've known I've said that. I didn't even know all the rules of football. But there was nothing more special than seeing Reggie Bush in his prime jump into the fucking end zone and flip. I mean, and my dad was going to, you know, went back to dental school at the time. That was special. Uh, but it was really the first heartbreak I had in sports when Vince Young and the Texan Lo- Texas Longhorns beat us in the championship. That killed me. But I was a USC fan for life in all sports. My favorite USC basketball team. I love the team with Taj Gibson and DeRozan in 2009. Um, but my favorite team has to be, and the recent one with Evan Mobley was really good. That made it to the Elite Eight. But my favorite one has to be the Jordan McLaughlin, Chemezi Metu, Benny Boatwright, 2016-17 Trojans. That beat Providence and then beat SMU with Semi Ojale. That was probably my favorite team because Jordan McLaughlin, that's just my guy. But anyway, so congratulations to Bronny, man. I thought if he was going to stay local, he was going to go to UCLA because UCLA just has, you know, it's the storied basketball school, which my sister and dad also proudly went to. If you're wondering why I didn't get to go to any of these schools, my grades weren't good enough. But I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which between you and I, shits on any school in LA. UMass gang, Minutemen and Minute Women. 
Where are we at, son? In the comments, if you're watching this video, let's hear you because Celtics fans, you're getting a little too quiet for me, my Celtics fans. I know I got some. You're getting a little too quiet. Let's go with the Lakers, though, guys. Um, but so, yes, congrats to Bronny. Uh, I'm excited to see it. The problem is I probably won't, get, won't be able to see it in person because USC tickets are probably going to be more expensive than Clipper tickets at this point. I mean, fuck. I hope we get to see him. And I hope – I don't know if he'll start. I mean, USC is – we ain't no joke. But he is LeBron James's kid. And I ha also can't judge his game. I haven't seen him play a full game in, like, ever. So, can't judge. Let's talk about the Lakers and the Warriors. Game three. Obviously – you know, whoever wins this game would have the pendulum of momentum swung in their favor. And, you know, it was a Laker response, but it didn't seem like a Laker response at first. The Warriors actually came out hitting shots, especially Klay Thompson coming off screens. And I want to say this, though. You could tell from the jump that Anthony Davis's defense and just his body language in general was just sharper. Um, immediately the first play of the game, the Lakers threw it to AD on the wing. You know, I talked about how they only used him a lot as just like a screen and roll guy. And I think oftentimes you've seen this season where the Lakers can use Anthony Davis so much as a screen and roll guy that it's like, hey, this guy can get the ball isolated on the wing and go to work. He's Anthony Davis. He's not just a role player. And you saw in game one that was very successful going at Kavon Looney. Game two, you saw Draymond Green guard AD. This game, you saw a little bit of Draymond, a little bit of Jamichael, and Draymond Green was getting major foul trouble. Going to be addressing the foul stuff as the episode continues, but for now, just going to keep it in the first possession. Immediately, loading up and doubling off of Anthony Davis, leaving D'Angelo Russell open. D'Lo hits a three, ends up hitting three threes in the first quarter. I think he has 11 points in the first quarter. So shout out to D'Lo. He really set the tone for the Lakers to start the game scoring-wise because besides him... After AD made his first two shots, he was not, he was two for five. You know, he missed his next three. LeBron didn't shoot the ball till midway through the second quarter. It was very Magic and Larry esque. And I've been talking about LeBron playing a little bit more like those guys right now, the way he's been off the ball and kind of conserving himself from when he needs to go off. And that's one thing that I really have tried to emphasize to my subscribers and followers. If you've been with me since day one, you know that I say this all the time. The reason why I learned this is the Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain story arc. Sometimes less is more. You have to understand, when, I, when a certain guy is you know handling the ball so much and wants to create every shot, if they need to do it by necessity, that's a little different. And at times, LeBron James, over the course of his career, has had to control the game with the ball in his hands by necessity. But there are also times where, largely, teams will build rosters around those per players, the Luka Doncic's, the James Harden's, the Steve Nash's, with those guys having the ball in their hands a lot. Chris Paul, for example, with the Clippers. We built the team around him because that's just their style. They play on the ball. But when you can rest as a great player rest meaning in the game rest, let other guys get more confidence, not just feed off your plate. Maybe your stats won't look as good, but they will become better players in the long run. It may not be better short term, but long term, they will be better players and that will help you. And I think LeBron has done a good job of maturing in that sense. And in my opinion, it's not just trust. He's played with better teams than this, but the trust of D'Lo and Austin Reeves on the ball and letting him conserve because he, he really physically can't anymore play like that on ball the whole game. And that's fine. I mean, at his age, he's already so much better than anyone he has been at that age, really. I shouldn't say that age, but yeah, probably that age. 
<laughs> Although I know Kareem was pretty damn good at that age too, but I got to watch the film. Um, as far as LeBron, the shape he's in, in year 20, definitely year 20 there's no debate because Kareem was like 43 or 42 years old at year 20. Um, and Kobe was on his last legs. But LeBron, he's still what he's capable of doing still at his age is, is unbelievable from a physical perspective. And I think what I love also is he's not just being off the ball to give those guys more rhythm on the offensive end. He's also conserving for the defensive end, which is what I've been saying he should do in the regular season, but to no avail. Um, Anthony Davis immediately was just back in that high drop that we talked about, worked so well in game one. And he was, you know, getting ready to block shots, but mainly putting a hand up and contesting those shots with the Warrior players coming off screens and making them think twice about it, making them trying to try to drive and beat him off the bounce and then kicking it out and just not really getting great looks. But the Warriors led 30-23 to 23 after one, led by Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, good defense by Andrew Wiggins as well. And they actually led by as many as 11 points, 40-29. to 29. But the game changed on a very specific play. When Steph Curry was looking to give Klay Thompson the ball, running up the court on the left side, Klay Thompson wasn't looking for the transition three, and it went out of bounds. Um, and that changed the momentum of the game. After that, Anthony Davis hit a couple of shots on a roll. You started to see LeBron catch the ball more at the elbow. And it's funny because Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, credit to them, were talking about, and I thought the same thing, LeBron needs to, at this age, and just given who's guarding him and the fact that he can't get by guys the same way anymore facing up that he used to against the elite of the elites, like a Wiggins, use your strength that you have and always have had for the last, you know, he's always been strong, but the real bully bully ball last 12, 13 years since Miami, you still have that. And I would say his post game is actually in footwork are a little more refined now than ever before. And you started seeing him go to that post and elbow as if he heard the commentary himself. And it's not just his ability to score by being right around the rim and using the strength. It's how much teams double and how great of a passer he already is, which is one of my biggest critiques of LeBron throughout, throughout his career as well, is not going to the post enough where he is such a great passer out of it. And you see off-ball actions happening. He can get the ball, bounce past the AD right underneath the rim. You can see back screens and exit screens being set where he can get D'Lo a pop-out three. Different looks like that. Or even just everybody loading up on him, the cross-court whip pass backhand that he loves to the left wing when he's posting up on that right side. I mean, so many great things can happen out of LeBron catching the ball at the elbow of the post. And you were starting to see a little bit of that. And AD catching the ball on the wing. Team's going to double. It's just a matter of the Laker players hitting shots. And a guy that came into this game and out of nowhere and had a huge impact, Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker's had some good moments this season. I think he's shown me that he's a better defender than I knew about coming out of San Antonio. He has good uh, length, good hands, very athletic. And he works harder than people give him credit for on that end. And I thought he and Austin Reeves, even though Austin Reeves could not hit a three, both of them were doing a really good job, Dennis Schroeder included, chasing Steph Curry over screens, just chasing him around the court, Klay Thompson as well. And I think the Lakers were doing a really good job closing out. And when, that, when the Warriors went up by 11 and AD responded, LeBron started to shoot a little bit. D'Lo continued to score. You started to see the Lakers get stops with AD affecting just about everything. 
and the Warriors start to go a little bit cold and get sloppy and struggle to play defense without fouling. And the game completely started to change. Draymond Green got into foul trouble. AD was putting a lot of pressure on the Warriors. And let's see how many free throw attempts Anthony Davis had. 12. Being aggressive. And, you know, the Warriors were icing the screens all day long, forcing the Laker players' baseline. Dennis Schroeder trying to funnel him to his left, even forcing LeBron baseline. That opens up the pocket pass for AD at the foul line with the defense loaded up. Guys got to make open threes, but AD was also, it's all about him just making those shots off the pocket pass in that in-between area. Those one-handed push shots, those foul line jumpers. And one thing about Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, they do a pretty good job helping and recovering. So he's not always going to be open for those shots. Sometimes he's going to have to make a move, which when AD's on it, he can make those moves, whether it's that one dribble spin that he loves or just going into the body for a little step back. You even saw in this game in the second half, he had a one-legged shot falling, to his, falling away to his left. I mean, after the 2 of 5 start, he had his next five shots for the rest of the game. And the fact that he only shot 10 shots and to me was the best player on the court by a significant margin for the second game out of three is just a testament to how impactful he was on the glass and on the defensive end in that high drop. I mean, he does such a great job of getting out and showing on the ball handler and being attached to the roller. But I also want to give a shout-out to LeBron James in the second half on defense. And at halftime, by the way, Lakers were up 59 to 48. So with 36 to 18 second quarter, this is after they were down 40 to 29. So that means they ended the quarter on a 30 to 8 run. Yeah. As I said, for the Warriors, getting sloppy with the ball, missing shots, especially the supporting cast. I mean, Steph wasn't too great in this game, in my opinion, but the other guys, the Jordan Pools, the Dante DiVincenzos. Just not good enough from them. I mean, Jordan Poole, he's having a real nightmare playoff so far. And on both ends of the floor, you know, he has had moments where he's been passable defensively and not that bad. But he also has his moments where he's not a good defender, which he's not overall. And he just takes really tough shots. Again, 0 for 4 from 3 in this game. Second half, though. Klay Thompson cooled down majorly and was getting blown by a lot on defense. Steph Curry, not too much better, not having a great shooting night himself for his standards. Andrew Wiggins was, in my opinion, really the only guy that was playing well for the Warriors to me. Uh, Warriors fans, if you think there was somebody else, you can tell me. But I didn't really see much else from anyone. They were not making shots. The Warriors as a team shot 13 for 44 from deep. 29.5%. So another poor three-point shooting night for the Warriors. Actually, no, I shouldn't say another. They've shot well in this series from three. Not a good three-point shooting night there. The Lakers shot 13 less threes than the Warriors. 15 for 31. Shot at a very high percentage, 48.4%. And Draymond Green, when he got his fifth foul, I believe that was in the third quarter. And look, I'm not going to lie. There were absolutely some harsh calls against the Warriors. There is going to be home-centric officiating, especially after Game 2. But I do not think that was the main reason the Warriors lost. I don't. And honestly, I'm going I'm to go more into that at the end of this. But LeBron James' defense in the third quarter, and it was mainly his transition defense. LeBron, you know, you can really tell, especially in a playoff series, when certain guys are just reading the scouting report. 
And LeBron, being as long as he's been in the league, is not just the only reason why he can read it. It's because he cares about that detail. And that's what separates the GOATs from the greats, is that psychological game. And LeBron, I mean, he's played these guys before. He knows that the emphasis is going to be to get out in transition, off of misses, and go get easy baskets and transition threes. A couple of times he would hit a dead sprint and deflected the ball. There was one time and he got into the, you know, deep into the crowd. Um, that's a special moment that gets the crowd engaged. That shows your hustle at age 38, just stopping at what could be, you know, just two points while you're winning by double digits. Doesn't matter. You set a tone as the leader at 38 years old. You see that other people want to do that. Other people got to play at that level of effort. That's not normal. You don't see that from LeBron all the time these days. And you just got to love that if you're a Laker fan to go along with AD's defense. Because AD, I mean, it's just a totally different game when he's not in. When they went small, there was a period where the Lakers went small. It just didn't look very good. Anthony Davis is everything for this team defensively. Everything. Not to take away from the Lonnie Walkers and the Austin Reeves and the Dennis Schroeders and the Vandos that play their good perimeter defense. But Anthony Davis shuts shit down. He is having a, dare I say, Bill Russell-like defensive impact in these playoffs. It's pretty amazing. As I say, best defender in ball. That's what I think. Best defender in ball. And in this game, you saw that on full display. The Warriors, though, you know, they just were boneheads overall. And then they just didn't play very well. There's not much to say. They got dominated physically. Let's, let's look at the team stats. The Lakers ran away with it after that. And by the way, LeBron with some big blocks, and you could just see how ready he was to get blocks and help defense. In the half court and in transition, you know, chase downs. There was that one beautiful block he had on Jordan Poole. When LeBron's engaged defensively, it's done. It's just a different ballgame. He's a different player, and he energizes the team at, in a different level. And D'Angelo Russell just continued to be spectacular. Dennis Schroeder. He missed a couple of his threes in the beginning, but as the game went on, he was just awesome. The Lakers in a big win. Second straight blowout in this series. Win it 127-97. to 30-point win. And I also want to say for the Warriors, a lot of what we saw in that game, too, was heavy doses of high pick and roll with Steph. I feel like they went away from that to the frequency that they used it in game two. And I don't think that's great even though I'm always pure passing the ball and their off-ball movement and the motion and the read-and-react offense. Sometimes you just got to get the ball in Steph's hands as much as possible. And I think only 21 shot attempts when everyone's shooting that poorly. And, you know, 9 for 21 is not that bad. It's not great for Steph, but it's not that bad. He's still shooting 40% from 3, 4 for 10. Get him the ball a little bit more. You know, the other guys just didn't have it. And, you know, when Poole has the ball and Curry's in the game and he's initiating... I get it. Curry's resting and, you know, letting other guys try to get going. But it's going back to that conversation I just had earlier with myself on this on this episode with y'all. I shouldn't say with myself. I am talking to you guys. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of do you need to be on the ball that much or do you choose to be on the ball that much? Sometimes you need to. And in this case, Steph Curry's going to need to be better or get the ball more on it. But sometimes you'll get the ball and just look off for Clay Thompson to come off the ball for uh, you know come off a screen uh for a catch and shoot or yeah for a catch and shoot jumper you know he can say come set me a screen Draymond he has control too so for all the curry stands it's not just Steve Kerr if curry wants to run pick and roll he can run pick and roll he's it's not these guys are not like robot this is the NBA guys like don't get don't get it twisted anyway let's read the lines the lakers by the way in the third quarter 
nullified third quarter Warriors with the 27-20 win in that one. And then the fourth, Cherry on top of the Sunday with a 41-29 fourth. Got to give the Lakers credit. They really just didn't let the Warriors get back in the game. And the Laker crowd, again, the Lakers are undefeated at the Staples Center so far in these playoffs. 4-0, so credit to them. They're going to need to do a big-time job one more time, and that is tomorrow uh, on Monday. 3-1, then it gets, oh, man, Warriors got to become part of history at that point but the largest lead was that 11 point lead 40 to 29 lakers led by as many as 34 they shot 52 and a half percent from the field the warriors shot 39.6 percent not good at all credit to the laker defense but the warriors obviously just didn't have a great shooting night as well both things can be true 29 and a half percent from three lakers 48.4 percent from three on 13 less attempts 17 to 37 in free throws in favor of the Lakers. The Warriors shot 70.6%. The Lakers shot 75.7%. 28 for 37. Rebounds, only a two-rebound advantage for the Lakers. Eight offensive rebounds advantage for the Warriors, 14 to 6. The Lakers had twice as many steals, 10 to the Warriors, 5. And the Warriors turned the ball over 19 times for 27 Laker points, that is huge. I always say, man, you cannot turn the ball over. I'd say, what? I always say 20 times or more, but 19 is close enough on the road and expect to win a playoff game. That's just too much. Points in the paint, only a two-point difference for the Lakers in favor. Let's read the box scores. Let's read it for the losing side first. For Golden State, I mean, you're getting a combined... And some of this involves garbage time, mind you. Eh, it's not even relevant. I was gonna. It's thirty nine points off the bench, but it doesn't really matter because all this garbage time shit. Jordan Poole played twenty two minutes and was two for nine, five points, three rebounds, six assists, but he also had four turnovers. So sloppy with the ball, JP. Five points. That's not gonna cut it. DiVincenzo, two for eight. So between the two of them, Poole and DiVincenzo off the bench, four for 17. Ten points. Not good. Gary Payton, I mean, he's not bringing. I know he, his box score stats look good here. Eight points on four for seven shooting. He doesn't look playable right now. He's not making the big impact defensively that he was last year. And offensively, he's terrible. He's good on the offensive glass. He's really athletic. But he's still only like, what, 6'4"? Six, 6'2", six, he's listed as. Yeah, he makes himself look bigger because he has long arms and he jumps high, but yeah, he doesn't really have much offensively. Kavon Looney played 16 minutes, three points, four rebounds, and four assists. Three turnovers for Loon. And then the starters, Jermichael Green only 11 minutes and he just didn't have it. Five shots taken, only one make, 0 for 3 from deep, just two points. Draymond Green, back to not looking at the basket, two points. Four points between the greens and two technicals as well. Jermichael Green, we had him on the Clippers for, for a year and a half. He was so calm. I don't remember him ever getting a tech. That Draymond effect is rubbing off on him. Four points between the two of them, a combined one for nine. Andrew Wiggins, I thought he was actually good. 16 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Pretty good job on Braun. A block, a monster dunk. Um, I think it was against, was it against AD? I think it was. 
6 for 11 from the field, 2 for 4 from deep, 2 for 2 from the line. Really solid all the way around statistically in 28 minutes of play. And then the Splash Brothers. Clay Thompson started well, but 15.7 boards, 6 turnovers. For someone who doesn't handle the ball that much, that's really bad. Almost a third of their turnovers came from Clay. 5 for 14 from the field, 3 for 9, just 33% from deep. Only two free throw attempts made them both, but really bad game from Clay overall after the first quarter. And then Steph Curry, 23 points, four rebounds, three assists, and three turnovers. Nine for 21 from the field, four for 10 from three, and just one for three from the line. That's not going to cut it. Steph Curry has to be the best player in this series, in my opinion, if the Warriors want to win. That's not good enough. Yeah. 19 turnovers, shooting that poorly. They were out physical. Let's go with the Lakers. Troy Brown didn't really play much. It was Lonnie Walker instead. Troy Brown playing garbage time. Rui Hachimura, 16 minutes, 5 points, 2 for 3 from the field. Pretty quiet. Jared Vanderbilt, 15 minutes. He was 0 for 5. Offensively, he's tough, but he still had some good energy defensively to start the game. Actually, no, the Lakers weren't that good in the beginning of the game. Yeah, Vando, eh. He was a plus four, but I think his stretch, the better stretch was in the, in the second uh, half. 0 for 5 from the field. His offense is tough. I mean, that's part of the dilemma for Darvin Ham right now in terms of minutes. His offense is tough. And defensively, he hasn't been very good at navigating screens. I think there's going to be other series for him, Jared Vanderbilt. But this series might just be more for the guards. And one of those guards was Lonnie Walker. Stepped up to the plate. 24 minutes, 4 for 6 from the field and 2 for 4 from 3. Also got to the line for a pair and made both. 12 points, 4 boards. He was a plus 10. What a game from Lonnie Walker. Credit Darvin Ham making the change. I know a lot of Laker fans have been saying he should play. But Darvin Ham has been doing a, a good job. The Lakers are, before this game, you know, three games away from a conference finals after being the 13th seed. You know, playing Lonnie Walker a couple more minutes than Troy Brown or playing him instead of Troy Brown, is that going to make or break the Lakers' championship chances? I don't think so. But it's going to help, sure, the way he's playing. And he looks better in a catch-and-shoot role, in my opinion, than on the ball, Lonnie. Dennis Schroeder, 12 points as well. 4 for 9 from the field. 3 for 6 from deep in the end. 1 for 4 from the line, though. So that's... Not good, but really solid game for Dennis in 20 minutes. A plus 13 off the bench. And then the starters. Austin Reeves. 30 minutes played. 10 points, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, but 0 turnovers. That's big time. Only shot 25% from the field. 2 for 8 and 1 for 4 from deep. 5 for 7 from the line, but I thought him chasing Clay Thompson, Steph Curry over screens, especially Clay. Better job this game. And I just think he was working hard. And it was absolutely a contributing factor to the win, in my opinion. He was a game-high plus 31. So, Austin Reeves finding other ways to contribute. That's what winning players do. And that's why already, to me, he's a winning player in year two. How about D'Lo? I mean, first, second round series of his career, he looks pretty good. 21 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 8 for 13 from the field, 5 for 8 from 3. In the two wins, he's been fantastic. 5 for 8 from 3, man, that's impressive. 
LeBron James, also 21 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and zero turnovers. You gotta love that from LeBron taking care of the ball. I also want to give D'Lo a shout out defensively. He's been really solid. Um, but LeBron, good defensive game, just a really great all-around game for him. He was a plus 26, only 11 shots too, six for 11, but got to the line and didn't settle. Only four three-point attempts, made two, seven for eight from the foul line. You're going to take that all day from LeBron. And then the main man, Anthony Davis, 25 points, 13 rebounds, three assists, three steals, Four blocks, so seven stocks, as they say. Some of those guys that love those, uh, you know, new statistics. I feel weird saying these things, so I'm just going to say three, uh, seven steals and blocks combined. <laughs> Maybe stocks is better. But anyway, 25 points, 13 rebounds, three assists, three steals, four blocks on seven for 10 shooting and 11 for 12 from the line. Best player on the court in two games. Lakers have won two games. So it really comes down to what AD are we getting next? Are we getting a bad game again? Because look, if he has another good game, there's a good chance the Lakers win this and go up 3-1. And then I think it's a wrap. No matter how many games it takes, as long as the Lakers don't let it go to seven, it's done. The other guys need to step up for Steph. It'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments Kerr makes. But... Draymond Green needs to look at the basket. They need to do a better job of playing defense without fouling. Klay Thompson will bounce back, in my opinion. Jordan Poole needs to have a good shooting game. How about DiVincenzo have a good shooting game? And then as for the Lakers, they combated the ice really well. You know, they came, they tried to keep forcing them baseline. They found good pocket passes, though. Good cross-court passes from LeBron and such. And AD was able to, it's really just about AD making those mid-ranges and, you know, shots right inside the paint on those pick-and-rolls when they ice it because they just let the ball go to the middle and then crowd the middle but ad can still make a move in the middle so it really comes down to how ad reacts to catching the ball there in traffic but anyway whew, i'm gonna talk about the refs thing and then i'm gonna get some water and we'll come back and talk about another um another what's it called uh another game what are you guys talking about in this chat <laughs> what are you guys talking about Anyway, all right, let's talk about the ref stuff. So look, Warriors fans, I understand the frustration. I, th I said in game one, I think that the Lakers got a little bit of a better, better whistle, but I think the Lakers outplayed the dubs. They were more physical. They were getting into the paint more. And it's like, look, when the Warriors are going up, like you have, the, to me, the best rim protector in basketball. The Warriors don't have a great rim protector. Their best rim protection with this era has been preventing straight line drives with really good switch everything personnel. Steph is on the decline in terms of his defense this year, in my opinion, hasn't been as good as last from what I've seen. And I've watched a lot of Warriors games this year at this point. Clay is not the defender he once was, and you saw that a lot in this game. Draymond is not as good defensively in space, but he's still pretty elite. But they don't have and they don't have KD anymore. Wiggins is like him and GP2, and GP2 is not good enough to see the floor. Not good enough offensively right now to see the floor consistently. It's really Wiggins is the only guy that's really sitting there locking up uh, on the perimeter. Because the Warriors, I don't know, man. They look old at times. They look old and slow at the point of attack. But I still think there's a, the response. there's a response coming. Point is this. In game two, I thought the Lakers didn't get the benefit of the whistle. I thought the Warriors got a better one. 
The Lakers are going to get more free throw attempts in this series. If you want to make it as simple as just looking at free throw attempts, that's a very basic way of looking at ball. What if a team is actually getting fouled more? I'm a neutral observer here, man, and I think that the Lakers have gotten the benefit of the whistle in two games and the Warriors in one. And yes, you can say that's correlated to the 2-1 series. But that is not the main reason, man. The Lakers have outplayed the Warriors. Anthony Davis has been a monster. These motherfuckers are going up scared. Besides that one Wiggins dunk, these fools are going up scared. Anthony Davis is intimidating and affecting shots. He's in that high drop. He's forcing a lot of long jump shots. The, the Lakers get the ball to AD in the mid-range. He rips through and tries to take contact and bump. Draymond was tr trying to take charges. He didn't get the calls. He may get those calls next game. He's going to get those calls at Chase, in my opinion. It's like it's going to even out in terms of the officiating bias, in my opinion. Because what Adam Silver really wants is the series to go long. As long as possible. Seven-game series, he wins. Because the ratings for that are going to be insane. And I still think it's going to be seven games. And I'm not wavering on my Warriors in seven pick. But the Lakers look like the better team right now. They do. But the Warriors are champions, and I think they're going to come back with a response. Just like the Lakers came with a response. But, man, I just want to end it with this. Warrior fans, I'm very disappointed. At least the, the ones on Twitter. I listen to... And you know, I like these people. These are, these are my friends, I guess, Twitter friends, you can say. People that are supportive of my content and I'm supportive of them. I'm very disappointed in the way they're talking. Being sore losers, man. It's all the ref's fault. It's all Kerr's fault. Never holding players accountable. Never admitting that the Lakers have just played better than you because you hate them so much. Look, man, I hate the Utah trash. I hate the Memphis Teddies. And I really hate the Phoenix Buns. But I'm not going to sit here and just lie. That's just not my style. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses about things. The Warriors are getting out physical. They're getting... Just look, the Warriors all season have not been able to play defense without fouling. And now you're saying it's a huge deal because it's the Lakers. And it's convenient to blame the officials because it's the Lakers. And they've been at the, they have been the benefit of a lot of, you know, officiating scandals and stuff like that throughout history you know it's it's very it's true but it's not like you, you can't you know it's funny about warriors fans is they say look at you they look they brag about the ratings of the nba saying that the warriors get more you know views than anybody and then they simultaneously act like adam silver's out and the league is out to get them you are getting the most ratings for the league and now they're out to get you come on man the fact of the matter is, home-centric calls have existed since the beginning of I've, like time I've watched in basketball. I know they've existed in the early 2000s, and I wouldn't be surprised if they existed in the 80s and, and prior as well. But to blame it all on the officials is, is just ridiculous from the Warrior fans. They can't give the Lakers an ounce of credit. I know you hate them. I would hate them too. But come on, man. LeBron goes to the rim. Anthony Davis attacks the rim. Dennis Schroeder goes to the rim. Austin Reeves, yeah, he's a foul baiter, but he also gets fouled. He does. He has a knack for drawing fouls. That is a skill to a degree as well. The Warriors, Anthony Davis is literally just dominating the painted area. He's dominating on the defensive side. He'll, he'll take away the drive. 
take away the perimeter contest, then get out to a shooter, and then get back in position to, to protect the rim. I mean, it's ridiculous. What we're seeing is, is an amazing playoff run on the defensive end by AD. The Warriors don't have an AD. And going back to the conversation and the, and the statement I made in the last series against Memphis, I said, who is the best defender in basketball between? To me, it's AD, Jaron Jackson, and Draymond. We're watching all three of them in the playoffs. And AD has played both. Who's the best defender in basketball when healthy? That's the big if. It's Anthony Davis. <laughs> so stop crying. I don't have any sympathy for any fan bases, my friends. None. I'm a Clipper fan. We only get cheated. I wish I could say, you know, we're just attacking the paint more. I mean, the refs have just been, you know, it's always been a part of basketball. Like, the refs are always going to be doing their thing and giving the home team calls. I never get to say this shit because we always get the shaft. Like, fucking 2014. (sighs) And also... Even in the bubble in 2015 against Houston in game six, the refs just swallowed the fucking whistle and ate it down their throat. You know, ugh. And I I never mentioned that bullshit either because I don't make excuses about officials like some other fans. But, and even in this series against Phoenix this year. Don't get me, oh, and let's not mention that game four, the ball was off Cameron Payne. But whatever. All right, guys, before we transition so stop crying, Warriors fans. It'll even out. If there's another game that's Laker, game four is also pro-Lakers officiating-wise, then we can cry. But it's not going to happen. But anyway, before I go into the next games, the Sixers and Celtics, let me get some water because I am thirsty as shit. Don't go anywhere. All right, now let's talk about the Sixers and the Celtics. One of my favorite rivalries in NBA history, of course. Game three. going to be brief on it because it's not the most recent game, but... Jalen Brown, he's done a really good job on James Harden in games two and three. And you saw a response from Jason Tatum. He had 10 points in the first quarter. And Embiid, I want to also say it was really cool seeing Embiid's parents and his kid, like Embiid crying. He wanted this MVP so badly, and he deserved it. And, yeah, I give him – it was a, it was a special moment in front of the Philly fans that he, he supported – that have supported him from day one. You gotta give uh and beat a lot of credit. And he also played well in this game, too. Uh aggressive. He was getting doubled. When he wasn't getting doubled, he was trying to get the mid-range off. Even when he was seeing the double come, he got the mid-range off, which I loved. because uh, again, I always say, when you have a mid-range, you can combat double teams when you catch the ball in the mid-range area. And he's like just loves catching the ball at the foul line now. That's his new thing. He gets to see the floor better for his liking. And when the doubles come, he finds shooters. Just a matter of them knocking it down. They weren't really knocking him down in Game Three. And Jalen Brown, he only had I think two points in the first quarter, but he started to get going in the second and third quarter. Going to the basket, guarding James Harden. He had nine points in the second with some good takes to the rim, some jumpers when Embiid was in drop coverage, and ten points in the third. Jason Tatum had ten points in the first four minutes. And then until the fourth quarter, he only scored seven points from that point forward. So between eight minutes to go in the first quarter all the way to the start of the fourth, he only scored seven points. Um, But Embiid, as I said, really solid. Three blocks in the first half, two on Tatum, one on Jalen Brown. Um, But Harden was just, I mean, terrible, overthinking everything, turning the ball over, passing up mid-ranges, 
passing up floaters, taking bad shots, trying to foul bait, and credit Jalen Brown. He was doing a really good job defensively and then going at him on the other end. Harden was just getting blown by a good amount. Uh, Tyrese Maxey was okay in this game. I don't think he shot well. Let me take a look. Got the games mixed up between watching games three and four. Yeah, didn't shoot well. Only 25% shooting, four for 16 from the field, and three for nine from deep, 33% for Maxey. So not great. Embiid, you know, he actually had a 30 and 13 game. But the Celtics, they did a decent job of staying ahead most of the second half. They led 57 to 50 at the half. And I thought that in the third quarter was fairly even, but the Celtics won it by four, 31-27. And the game got close. You know, the Sixers came back, made it a, Harden started to hit some shots towards the end. Uh, Embiid was just a beast all night. But Al Horford and Jason Tatum made some really big shots late. Marcus Smart as well. You got to credit Marcus Smart's effort. Even when he's shooting 33% from the field, like in game three, still makes an impact on the defensive end. Um, he actually had a game high, plus 18, plus minus, three steals. So super active as usual. Um, and Malcolm Brogdon, even though he was four for 12, big shots and just a steady, calming presence off the bench who makes smart decisions and just adds a little bit of rim pressure, even though he's not the quickest in the world. But he finds a way to get to the basket. He's got a good first step and he knows how to use angles well. 15 points, 6 dimes for Brogdon. But it was the late game shot making of Jason Tatum to me. 10 points in the 4th and Harden just being trash. Along with Tobias Harris was 3 for 6 from the field in the game. 3 for 6 and he shot 0 times in the 4th. Glenn Rivers elected to go with more Melton. Tobias Harris played 25 minutes, Melton 30. And Niang played 19 because he was shooting well and he had 10 points. I mean, but Tobias only has seven points. is just ridiculous. The Celtics outscored the Sixers 26-25 in the fourth to steal home court advantage back 114-102. And it really comes down to the fact that the Jays were better than the duo of Embiid and Harden. And at that point of the series, Harden has had two bad games, one great game. Notable stats for the Sixers. A donut for Paul Reed. Didn't even get a shot up. McDaniels only played 11 minutes. Three points. One for two. Both his shots were threes. Melton, 14 points and eight boards. Four for 10 from the field. Four for seven from deep. So he actually had a pretty good game to me. Niang, also in double figures. Like to see that from the Sixers bench. 10 points. Four for seven from the field. And two for five from deep. P.J. Tucker, nine points. Three or four from the field. All of those were three-point attempts. And then Tobias, those seven points is just not good enough, especially at home. After he's had a really good playoffs up to that point. Three for six, just not enough shot attempts, but we've seen that before as a Clipper fan. Maxi, 13 points, six boards, four for 16 from the field, and you're starting to see the Celtics really try to put him in the action. But that's not good. 25% from the field and 33 from three. And Harden, 16 points, six boards, 11 assists, but five turnovers. Yeah, five turnovers ain't good. 16 points, three for 14 from the field, two for seven from three in 41 minutes. James Harden looking like Plumber Jim in game three and two. And they were, by the way, just icing him to, the, to his right 
the whole time and trying to get him to make that pocket pass and trying to read it, and it was working pretty well. How about the C's? And by the way, as a team, Sixers only shooting 40% from the field, but 43 from three. But yeah, just, man. So from two, they shot 15 for 41. How about the C's? Eight-man rotation, no Sam Hauser. Grant Williams has now basically re replaced him in the rotation, which is, you know. By the way, he took like, oh, my God. That was scary. Joel Embiid literally, his foot, the bottom of his foot landed on Williams' head and smashed it like curb stomp damn near. Ugh, it was gross. But Grant Williams played 23 minutes, had a donut, missed three threes. But I thought he did a really decent job on Embiid, just being strong and just making life a little bit difficult. The Time Lord only played 16 minutes, 4 points, 5 rebounds. The Celtics want to switch everything, and then they'll double, and then just try to rotate, run the Sixers off the line, and they do a good job of that. Malcolm Brogdon, you yeah, already said him, 15 points. Derek White, 13 points, 6 boards, 4 for 9 from the field, 2 for 5 from 3. Solid shooting night for him, and pretty good defense as usual. Marcus Smart, 15 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, 2 turnovers, so not too bad there. The Celtics, see how many turnovers they had. 12 to the Sixers, 13. So both teams, eh, in that department. But for the Celtics to have 6 guys in double figures is pretty good. 6 out of the 8 rotation players, just Grant Williams and, and Robert Williams not getting in double figures, but... Derek White, 13. Brogdon, 15. Smart, 15. Then Horford with 17 and a big three late from the top of the key. Just so good, even at his age. And I think the defensive matchup against an Embiid is more favorable than, you know, switching onto the perimeter. But in games two and three, he did a decent job. 17 points and seven boards for Horford. Six for eight from the field, 75%. And five for seven from deep. So that means he was, geez, one for one from two. Big time performance from Horford in 31 minutes. And then the Jays. Jalen Brown, 34 minutes, 23 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Again, just kind of drifting a little further away in the fourth quarter, if I can recall correctly. Let's see how many shots he took in the fourth. Because the fourth was more about the Jason uh, Tatum show. But let's see. Three shots, all threes, missed them all. But still had a pretty good game to me because of the way he played in that second and third quarter. So 23-7-5, and 8-for-18 from the field, but 0-for-4 from three. And then Jason Tatum, the player of the game for me, 27 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals and a block, a beautiful turnaround over, I believe it was the right shoulder, and then a step back three from the left wing in that fourth quarter late. He shot 10 for 20 from the field, but 3 for 11 from deep, and a lot of those are really difficult shots. Like, if he could just do without some of those, it would, it would go a long way. 7 for 9 from 2. So keep being aggressive, JT. Celtics shot 22 for 23 from the line. Sixers 24 for 27. So both teams shot pretty well from 3. The, six, the Celtics shot 44% from the field, 35.6% from 3. Went it 114 to 102 to take a 2 1 lead. And then on this Sunday, what an electric game four we had. I turned it on in the middle of the second quarter, and the Sixers were up by 11. 
And it looked like they had the game under control, same stuff, and beat at the foul line, doing great things, knocking down the mid-range when he was one-on-one, attacking the basket. James Harden, though, the difference was he was hitting. It was another big-time Harden game, just like game one. The step back was falling. The mid-range was falling. He was making plays. And it was really the Embiid and Harden show. A lot of Maxi, but again, not a great shooting night. And they were putting Maxi and Harden to pick and roll a lot, Boston, to try to get success. But the Sixers were standing tall, up 59-50 to 50 at the half. They were up by 9 going into the 4th. And then it was looking like another major Glenn Rivers team choke job. I remember at one point it was 22-8 to 8 in the 4th in favor of Boston. They just went cold. And Glenn really leaned into the starters in this one because it's a must-win game. You don't want to go down 3-1. He only played an eight-man rotation, and Paul Reed only played six minutes, two points, one for two. So, that you know, you're basically playing seven guys. All the starters played 31-plus minutes. Four of them played 45-plus minutes. Mind you, this is Embiid playing 46 minutes coming off a sprained knee. So it's just a lot for them to carry. The Celtics went eight deep. But Grant Williams gave them 12 minutes and the Time Lord gave them 14. So now you're really starting to see rotation shrink as the level of competition and level of basketball gets higher. Only certain guys, the best of the best, can really play heavy minutes on this floor. And the Celtics, ooh, they started to get hot at the right time. They, they played this lineup of Brogdon, Smart, the Jays, and Horford, five out, and it was causing problems. You know, the Sixers were scrambling all over the place. And what would happen was they'd put Max or Harden in the pick and roll. Sixers were switching everything. They double, and then you get the ball moving, defense in rotation. Horford was hitting threes. Brogdon was hitting threes. Marcus Smart hit a corner three again. I mean, it was they were getting back in it. At one point, they led by five, 105 to 100. And I, for a second, thought the Celtics had won it. Malcolm Brogdon made a three just after Marcus Smart had made a three. Big timeout called by Glenn at the two-minute mark. Harden came back and I believe hit a mid-range. It was either a mid-range or a floater, but big response by Harden. Like, you needed it. You know, this is basically your season on the line. And they had a really good defensive possession where Jalen Brown had Maxi switched on to him, didn't even call for the ball. Marcus Smart takes a step back, contested three. That's on JB. Again, why are you so unassertive at the end of games? That needs to change. Because some nights Tatum's not going to have it. you got to be assertive. And then, let's see. I'm just looking at the play-by-play to get a little reminder. P.J. Tucker's and one. Oh, man, what a huge play that was to tie the game. P.J. Tucker just making little, I don't want to say little plays, but doing the little things and making big plays off on the offensive glass, effort plays, going for loose balls, keeping possessions alive, knocking the ball off somebody out of bounds, going for an offensive rebound, those kind of things. He just does the little things that don't show up in the stat sheet. Made the free throw to tie the game at 105. But then Marcus Smart gave the C's the lead at the foul line. And Horf, when Horf, by the way, Horford was like really locking down Embiid towards the end of the game. I thought Embiid was gassed. He was starting to catch the ball and not go to the basket when Horford was really pressing up onto him. And I remember P.J. Tucker got in his face and was like, I think he was just telling him to be aggressive. Like, dude, this is our season right here. Oh, wow. I just realized the game went to overtime. So for the minutes to look like that, it wasn't all but two minutes. It was overtime that I had to account for. But 
season on the line. James Harden to tie the game makes a floater to tie the game at 107. What a big shot from Harden. Marcus Smart off a Jason Tatum kickout gets a wide open three. Such a good look. And he misses short. Could have put the Celtics up three games to one. And I got to give credit to the Sixers in overtime, especially Embiid. He found a second gear. It was He was much more aggressive. Uh, he was crashing the offensive glass, got a loose ball foul. There was one time where he went to the basket, and Marcus Smart took a charge and actually got it. Then there was another time where he went to the rim and scored, and he was just more aggressive in the OT, not settling. He started out with a mid-range to give the Sixers, or to pull the Sixers back within one, and then... You saw him get to the line and give them the lead. And what sealed the game, Jason Tatum made a step back three to give the Celtics the lead, 115 to 113. Crowd wanted to push off against Maxi. What a shot by Tatum. But Joel Embiid, or I'm sorry, James Harden hit the three. And by the way, the pick and pop action was working really well, even late in the game with Harden and Embiid. But Harden's three made it his second game winner of this series. Unbelievable. For a guy that I don't like, by the way, game-wise. Unbelievable, though. Got to give credit where it's due. But the last possession for the Celtics is just so, like, I, I don't know what's happened to the NBA, but now we just, like, hold till the last shot when we're losing. I was never taught that. I was taught that you go as quick, like, as, try to get as good of a shot as you can as quick as possible when you're down so then you can foul if you miss. You don't wait till the last shot and say, oh, you know, don't want to give the team a chance to win it. Bro, trust your fucking defense. What is this pussy shit? Marcus Smart, and by the way, Missoula had two timeouts. Why are you not calling a timeout? I understand going when the defense isn't set on a miss, but on a make? When the defense feeling himself, the crowd is loud, the momentum, the defense is set? What was that all about? Marcus Smart didn't even get the shot off? Disgraceful. I mean, and no, I'm like, waited so long. I forget who even made the shot at the end. But he took so long. I mean, it was just a joke. It was just a joke. But you deserve to lose by doing shit like that. I don't understand that wait until the end when you're losing. Rudy Gay did that in 2012 against us, and it was a joke. But anyway, huge win for Philly. They keep their season alive and make the series more interesting. We got a 2-2 series, ladies and gentlemen. Our first one of these playoffs. And now I'm going to read the lines. Man. Whew. For the Celtics, Grant Williams and Rob Williams only combined for six points on one for three shooting between the two of them. I'm sorry, two for three shooting between the two of them. Malcolm Brogdon played 36 minutes. Really solid game from him. 19 points, eight boards on six for 13 shooting and five for, th for eight from deep, so he was preferred to Derek White in this one. Wow. He's been really good in the playoffs, as I expected. As for the starters, Derek White played the least amount of minutes of them. 31 minutes played for him. Another really efficient shooting night. 12 points, 5 for 11 from the field, and 2 for 4 from deep. Marcus Smart. Actually, no, let's go to Horford first. Not as good of a shooting game, but just... His defense and his hands, the amount of strips that he gets. I mean, five blocks and two steals. That's ridiculous. Uh, that's AD uh, type. Is my lip bleeding? 
Jesus. <laughs> but 10 points, 7 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals, 5 blocks. Insane. 3 for 9 from the field, 2 for 7 from 3. So he didn't have a great shooting game, but I thought he played really well. Marcus Smart, 21 points, 3 rebounds, 7 dimes. Really solid game from him. 6 for 15 from the field and 4 for 10 from 3. But missed the open 3 at the end to win the game. And even worse, just held the ball too long and did not get a shot off. Didn't go quick. Ridiculous. Smart still has those bonehead decisions in him. And I hope that doesn't come back to to, uh, haunt Boston. The Jays. Jalen Brown. 23 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 10 for 16 from the field, and again, just didn't really notice him enough in crunch time. Just, I just not, it's not, it's not good enough for a player of his caliber. 44 minutes played, shot 16 shots. Like, come on, you're shooting efficiently. Jason Tatum, assertive, started, what, 0 for 7? And found a way to just make plays on both ends of the floor and on the glass. I mean, 24 points and 18 rebounds. Jesus. Four of those offensive rebounds. Six assists, a steal, and four blocks on nine for 20 shooting. One for six from deep. So another poor shooting game from the three ball. So both games in Philly just didn't shoot well from deep. But eight for 14 from two in 47 minutes. But the Sixers win it 116-115. to I still expect the Celtics to win in seven as I predicted. Could win in six. But just got to take care of business in Game 5, and I think they will because they really could have won both these games in Philly. But I want to say, James Harden, two really good games, and in those games they've won the two bad games they've lost. So he's the X factor, clearly, for Philly. Embiid, he's looked good after this injury. Game 2, he didn't look good, but Games 3 and 4, he's been awesome. So good for him so far. Hopefully for his sake he can continue. But what a series we have. It's a three-game series now. I'm excited to watch it. I still got the Cs, though. And I still think they're going to respond. Now let's go to the Suns and Nuggets game three. What a display in the first quarter right off the bat from Devin Booker and Jamal Murray. Obviously that Murray-Jokic pick and roll, pick and pop is so hard to guard. But I think the Suns have figured out a formula to get Murray to shoot more shots um, by staying home on Jokic. Make Murray, and by the way, I want to say a Kogi in them, Craig, whoever was doing uh, the job of the point of attack on Murray, did a really solid job in game three. Like, he still had a big scoring game, but he worked for his points. And I thought they did a good job getting over screens and just being physical with him. And they did a good job of staying home on Jokic. Most of the points that it felt like Jokic scored were on him having the ball in the post or catching the ball isolated. So, good stuff from Phoenix defensively, but Devin Booker set the tone. By the way, Chris Paul not playing in this game. Um, Still out with that groin injury. Cameron Payne starting in place. And I thought that Cameron Payne, just like we saw in 2021, added a little bit more pace. But Devin Booker, I mean, he started by hitting every sort of shot you can think of as he has in these playoffs. Mid-range, three, going left, going right, from the elbow, one or two dribbles. Like, just anything and everything to the rim in transition. 18 points in the first quarter for Book. 27 at the half. And just like every other damn game, it's KD and Booker trying to do everything offensively for these guys. But in this game, you saw Monty Williams play some guys that we've been wondering if they were going to play. Terrence Ross, TJ Warren. 
TJ Warren got 26 minutes. Terrence Ross got 14 minutes. And instead of Bismack Biombo, you saw the Clipper killer this year, Jock Landale. And in the first quarter, the Suns led... Actually, they were down 31-29. to But in the second quarter, they outscored the Nuggets big time, 38-21. to And I have to say, even though DeAndre Ayton was a little bit more aggressive in Game 3, like I remember him affecting a couple more shots in drop coverage. I'm talking about defensively, but Jesus Christ, offensively. Four points, nine rebounds. I mean, he's just playing so soft. Jock Landale was a lot better than him. He was aggressive. He played hungry. He was going for loose balls, playing really solid defense, being physical, finishing around the basket, rolling well. Just much better game from Landale than Ayton. Made a huge difference in that second quarter. And you saw a little bit from Warren. You saw a little bit from Ross. Hit a couple of shots. But it was mainly KD who started out missing everything against Aaron Gordon, who's done such a good job, I think, as well as you can. But you start to see him then be a little bit more aggressive and get to the foul line. He was getting to the foul line left and right, and he and Booker combined for, let me see, in that first half, 48 points. 48 points combined between the two of them out of 59. I'm sorry, no, out of 57. 67. It was 67 to 54 at half. So big time half from Booker and KD. But in the third quarter, the Nuggets came back. They outscored them 36-23. And you started to see Murray in that pick and roll. And Jokic just dominating Aiton and just just dominating in general. Just I love his offensive repertoire. Such good footwork. Hit, able to hit in the mid-range. Being aggressive. And Aiton was struggling in that drop coverage. Murray was getting to the rim. I don't even know why I made that earlier comment about Aiton being better. I think it was just one block he got. And I was like, oh, shit. He got a block. But no, nah, didn't seem like he was that much better. Murray got to the bucket a couple of times and was being aggressive. But so was Booker. I mean, every time they needed to restore order, he and KD would. They were hitting the mid-range. And at this point, they were drawing doubles. And when they're drawing doubles and you give it to them, talk about guys that can attack closeouts and pull up on a dime. That's what they do. They, unlike other players, don't neglect parts of the floor and were knocking down shots to keep the Suns afloat. And one thing I loved was that Kevin Durant was just emptying the clip. I'm always critical of him for not shooting enough. Sometimes just letting the game come to him. No, you go out there and grab the game by the throat. He and Booker did exactly that. And just Devin Booker to continue shooting so incredibly on extremely difficult shots and high volume is insane. Like I said in the Clippers series when when he played us, I was like, okay, he's bound to have a bad shooting night at some point. When is he going to have a bad shooting night? This is crazy. This is one of the best first two rounds of a playoffs I've ever seen an individual have in my life. This is every single game he's hitting shots that are tough, and he's hitting them at a high percentage. It's unbelievable. But, you know, I thought the fourth quarter was pretty entertaining. The Nuggets were trying. It seemed like Murray was just getting a little bit too many shots, though, compared to Jokic. A lot of that Murray-Jokic pick and roll. And as I said, the Suns found a way to stay attached to Murray. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, stay attached to Jokic and get Murray to shoot a lot of those, you know, sidestep mid-ranges or step-back middies. But they got what they wanted overall. It was more about Devin Booker and and KD just being ridiculous offensively. But the Suns outscore the Nuggets 31-26 in the fourth quarter. They won it 121 
to 114 in game three to keep their season alive because you go down three nothing that's a death sentence in the nba but big time win from phoenix let's read the lines devin book uh, i'm sorry the, the nuggets only an eight-man rotation christian brown played 10 minutes two points three boards one for two from the field Jeff Green, just 14 minutes, 7 points and 3 for 5. The Nuggets only shot 10 for 30 from 3 in this game, just 33%. So just didn't have it shoot going from the outside. Bruce Brown, 23 minutes, 11 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. Only the fourth Nugget in double figures. 4 for 11 is not a great percentage. 23 minutes of play. And then the starters, who all played 34 minutes or more. KCP. 34 minutes, had a really good first two games, but just two points on one of four shooting and 0 for 2 from 3, so not a good game for KCP. And he was struggling with Booker, but who hasn't struggled with Booker in these playoffs? And then Aaron Gordon, really bad shooting game. Thought he did a really good job on KD, KD though, overall, but 9.7 rebounds, 3 for 13 from the field, 0 for 3 from deep. And then the duo, actually the Michael Porter, 21 points, 12 rebounds. Thought he shot really well. Didn't really pay attention to his defense because I was looking at this game more from a Suns perspective. And I thought their defense was pretty good, Phoenix. I mean, they tried their best. You just got to do enough to beat Denver. It doesn't. It's not like you could hold them to under 100 or anything. You just got to do your best to beat them, make life tough. They did that. But it was more of a shootout than anything. 21 points, 12 rebounds for MPJ on 50% shooting, 7 for 14, and 60% from 3, 6 for 10. So, solid, efficient shooting night from MPJ. And then Murray, 32 points to lead the Nuggets, 6 rebounds, 5 dimes, 13 for 29 from the field, 1 for 6 from deep, though, so not a good 3-point shooting game for him. Second one in a row where he shot poorly from 3. Jokic, 30 What the fuck? Oh, my God. 30 points, 17 rebounds, 17 assists. They went to a lot of mid-post Jokic. His passes are obviously on the money, but holy shit, 30 points, 17 rebounds, and 17 assists is crazy. That's it. Whoa. 11 for 19 from the field. Only two three-point attempts. Just what a game from Jokic. But six turnovers, half of them for the team. Six for 12. Six out of the 12, I should say. So not great, but that's still an amazing game. As far as the Nuggets losing that game, I just think, you know, look at the supporting cast. Maybe it was too much Murray and Jokic, but I don't think so. I mean, that's just normal. They shot a combined 58 shots. If anything, it's too much Murray. There's no reason why Jokic is shooting so efficiently and he's your best player, maybe the best player in the world, and Murray is shooting 10 more shots than him. I get getting with, giving with the defense, uh, you know, what's the, I'm spacing out so hard here. Um, you know, what the fuck is the phrase? Oh, my God, I'm getting so mad. Taking what the defense gives you. Oh, my God. Too late. Taking what the defense gives you, I get it. But sometimes, you know, then fuck it. Nope. Uh, less pick and roll, more throw to Jokic. Because that way, even though they may double him, at least you're running it through Jokic as opposed to through Murray. But anyway, for the Suns, Ross, five points on two for seven from the field. One for six from deep, though. Shamit, two for four from the field. 0 for one from deep. Landale, six points, nine rebounds, one steal, three for three from the field in 22 minutes. TJ Warren, 26 minutes, 
Seven points, three boards on three for seven shooting. Tory Craig. It's so weird that he just plays amazing against us. I think it was for Kawhi. They really played him for Kawhi. They don't really have a, a great scoring wing, Denver. But he shot so well against us. That's why I'm so confused as to why he's not playing. Only three minutes. That's so weird. So total bench points for Phoenix, 22. 22 total bench points. Still nothing. And then if you combine a Kogi, that's 24 because he only had two points and played 10 minutes. Then you combine Aiton, that's 28. Combine Payne, that's 35. So Booker and KD combined for 86 of the 121 Suns points. That is crazy. Kevin Durant, 39 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 blocks. I will say this about KD. His defense was so good. His rotations, his rim protection, even one-on-one, really solid. 12 for 31 from the field for him. 1 for 5 from 3. But I don't care about efficiency. He emptied the clip in a must-win game. Love it. That's what I want to see, KD. Be aggressive. I don't want to see because I hate the Suns. But I'm just saying, from a basketball neutral perspective. 43 minutes for KD, too. So he worked hard, played a lot. But Booker, another player of the game for him. 47 points. 6 rebounds. 9 assists. How many turnovers? Three turnovers, a three to one assist to turnover ratio. But listen to this. 20 for 25 from the field. 80%. Five for eight from three. So that means he was 15 for 17 from two. That's insane. You really want to tell me 10 players are better than Devin Booker? Over the last three years, there are 10 players better than him? You're on fucking crack. I know you might dislike him. He's a whiner. This and that, Kardashian curse, you know, front running, doubled in pickup. Like, I don't care. It doesn't affect his game. He still scores from everywhere on the court. He can stop on a dime going both directions. He doesn't need that many dribbles. He doesn't need that much space. And he's consistent. And he guards more than people think. And he's a very underrated passer. And he's, I mean, come on. And he plays better in the playoffs because his game translates to the playoffs. Mid-range. Mid-range. Amazing. Uh, you know, two-team effort or two-man effort from KD and Book to win that one. 121-114, the Buns win, make it two games to one. I'm going to watch game four at some point before tomorrow so I can talk about it. The Nuggets won the points in the paint battle, by the way, 52-48. to The Suns, 23 fast break points to the 11 for Denver, pushing the pace more with campaign. Love to see it from them. And less than 10 turnovers, just nine for Phoenix. They also shot 89% from the foul line. Nuggets, 86%. Nuggets shot 21 free throws. Suns, 18 free throws. Both teams not shooting well from three. Suns, nine for 28. 32%. Just still not a, not a good three-point shooting team. Denver, 10 for 30. But the Suns shot 50.5% from the field. Nuggets, 44%. And finally, the New York Knicks and the Miami Heat. All right, Knicks and Heat. Wow. The Heat just looked like a totally better team on both ends of the floor from the beginning of the game. I mean, Jimmy Butler was getting double teams in the beginning, and again, the Heat supporting cast showing up to play. It's been the difference in the series. It's been the difference in the Heat's regular season success versus playoffs. I mean, of course, Jimmy Butler has been sensational, and he was, again, amazing, getting and ones, drawing two defenders, making plays, but... The other guys have really impressed me. The Gabe Vincents, the Kyle Lowry's, and of course, Spo. I mean, 
the Knicks' offense is just going to be really ugly at times. If it's just Jalen Brunson, and when he's not hitting, it's tough. I mean, you got finally, you know, R.J. Barrett had a lot of good games. He was playing well, but he didn't play very well in this one. Julius Randle, bad shots. Emmanuel quickly rushed shots. Even Brunson didn't have a good shooting game. And this, the Heat, it was just wire to wire. You know, led by eight after one, outscored them in every single quarter. Led by eight after one, led by, you know, a score of 58 to 44 at the half. And, I mean, the Knicks were kind of hanging around, but they just locked every 50-50 ball they lost. Their defense wasn't horrendous to me, but every 50-50 ball they lost. The Heat were just a more aggressive team. And, I mean, the supporting cast, like, let's just go through it. It wasn't even close, the game. 105-86, Miami wins by 19. As you can tell, this is the game that I paid the least attention to, so I don't have that much to say about it. They just look like the better team, straight up. I mean, let's read it for the Knicks. Deuce McBride didn't really play. Only one minute, so it was gar garbage time. The Knicks shot 34% from the field and 20% from three. They still generated a lot of open threes. I mean, the Heat played really good D, but they still generated a lot of open threes. Eight for 40? 40 is still too much when you're not making threes like that. It's not good enough. 34% from the field and 20 from three. Not going to win on the road. And let's see how many turnovers they had. 13. So not great. Quinton Grimes, I think there's a chance he starts again in game four. He hasn't started since he got injured, but that was the starting lineup they had for the majority of the season. Maybe put him back in it. I don't know. Eight points, three for seven from the field, one for four from deep. Obi Toppin had a rough one. Just could not hit shots. Two for six from the field, one for four from three, and got some really good looks. Five points. Hartenstein, just not the same impact that he had in game two. He had a donut in 26 minutes. Didn't even get a shot off. So I think the Heat did a good job of preventing those little push shots in the pick and roll. Quickly, hit some threes, but again, he just hasn't really had a good shooting game in these playoffs like that. Like he, I don't even think he's had a great game in the playoffs at all. I mean, the first game against Cleveland, 0 for 5. He had two good shooting games in a row in games 2 and 3, but the game that the Knicks lost by 17, that wasn't a very good game for him. The game, game three, when they won by 20 and he was four for six, I'd say he was good in that one. He had 11 points. But we haven't seen like a nuclear six-man-of-the-year quickly game. So far in this series, he's shooting 36% and 19 from three. This is not good enough for a guy that I said should win six-man-of-the-year. And Knicks fans were saying should win six-man-of-the-year easily. He has not been good enough. Four for 12 from the field. Two for eight from three. That's just ain't it. 12 points. A combined 25 points from the Knicks bench. The Heat's bench, you got 32. So, only a seven-point difference. For the Heat bench, Duncan Robinson played 13 minutes, had four points on one for six shooting and one for five from three. But he wasn't a liability defensively at all. He actually held his own. He was a plus seven. Haywood Highsmith, he wasn't bad. 5.6 rebounds, three of those offensive rebounds. I remember there was one time where he was just all alone for an offensive rebound. The Knicks just all over the place. Um, and one thing the Knicks were doing a lot was hedging those screens with Jimmy. And when the big guy was getting sucked out of the paint, the rotation for Bam was nobody to be found. And Bam was dominating the glass and scoring a couple of points on the rolls. Bam Adebayo, 17 points, 12 rebounds on 7 for 14 shooting. So... His best game of the series thus far for me. Solid double-double, really good defense. Cody Zeller. 
solid performance from him and got into a scuffle with Randall um, at the in the second half. And I love it. You know, Heat Knicks have a rivalry and a historic rivalry when it comes to fighting under the basket like that. So cool to see that it continues even in 2023. Cody Zeller with six points and six boards. Definitely his best game of the playoffs for me. Three for six from the field. Very solid performance from Zeller in 12 minutes. And then Caleb Martin didn't shoot well, but definitely added good defense. He was a plus 13, three points, five boards. 0 for 3 from the field. But Kyle Lowry, what a playoffs he is having right now. So good in the pick and roll. He's making shots. He's getting to the line with his foul baiting tactics, playing good defense, taking charges, making good decisions. 14 points, three rebounds, and four assists, zero turnovers, four for nine from the field, and two for four from three. 14 points. I mean, he has just been phenomenal in these playoffs. Just phenomenal. And in the postseason, he is shooting, not even shooting that well. Wow, it's crazy. His stats look worse than in the regular season. But if you watch him, in the, except for the field goal percentage is a little bit up, but if you just watch what the way what he's doing, it's it's just crazy how much that differs from the percentages. He's been he's been great. The starters, Gabe Vincent didn't have a good shooting game, but his defense I thought was really good at the point of attack. He was a team high, plus 14. It was one for eight from the field, five points, four assists. Kevin Love, four points, nine rebounds, four dimes on one of five shooting and 0 for three from deep. Don't let that fool you. Some of his outlet passes were ridiculous, and that's been a real weapon so far in these playoffs. K-Love, he's really finding a way to impact the team positively with a plus 12, but I'm saying he's just making a good, consistent impact with those outlet passes and rebounds and just his ability to stretch the floor and make defenses worry about that three-point shot attempt. Max Struess, what a performance. I mean, he was just huge. Making tough threes, too, with guys closing out right in his face, hands in his face, hands in his face, faces. In 19 points, 7 for 14 from the field, 3 for 10 from deep, but 50% from the field, and he was just hitting. Just felt like he was making everything. Big-time game from Struess, second-leading scorer on the team. Jimmy Buckets. 28 points, not the most efficient shooting game for him, 9 for 21, but a very, very solid game from Jimmy. So good. Two blocks in the game as well. The player of the game for me was Jimmy. The Heat only shot 39% from the field and 22% from three, and they still won decisively. Shows you how much of a slugfest it was. But I didn't even get to the uh, Knicks starters. Forgot. Mitchell Robinson. He has not been nearly the player we saw in round one. Only 14 minutes. And I think part of it's because they don't want to go to that drop coverage. Because Butler's been killing it. And has killed drop coverage in these playoffs. One for two from the field. Two points, five boards for Mitch. Just not much there. No blocks. Then the other starters, R.J. Barrett finally having a bad game. He had a stretch. I mean, he had three good games in a row to end the Knicks-Cavs series. Looked good in these first two games, even though he was benched in, what was it, game two? He was benched towards the end. 
but five for 16 from the field, two for seven from deep. Going to need better from RJ in game four. Just 14 points for him. And then Josh Hart, he's got to make his three balls. A lot of good looks. He does other things, but if he can make the three ball, it'll be big time. And the Knicks, they don't really have any knockdown three-point shooters. I talked about that on my, by the way, I have a weekly show now with All Ball, Fabian, and Flea um, on Sundays at 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern. Every Sunday, even in the offseason, it's called, we're calling it the Wu-Tang of Sports. And we're just going to chop it up. And you guys can even come on and talk. But we were talking about the Knicks don't have any knockdown three-point shooters. They really don't. And that's going to hurt because the Heat seem to. With Struess, Caleb Martin, even though they, you know, they didn't shoot well from three in this game. But they have been hitting and you expect them to make those shots. Josh Hart had 15 points, 12 boards. 5 for 12 from the field. 2 for 6 from deep. So not a very good shooting game for him. But he did get a double-double. And then the Stars, Julius Randle, awful game. Just bad shots, not posting up enough. 10 points and 14 rebounds, 4 turnovers, 4 for 15 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3. Just stupid shots, just not it. And then Brunson just had a tough one. Credit the Heat's defense. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists. He was the best part of the team, as he normally is. 7 for 20 from the field, though. So just 35%. And 0 for 5 from deep. So just a tough game for Brunson. The Knicks lose it by 20. Adjustments? I mean, X's and O's wise, I can't go that in depth. Like, they got to make their open threes. And they just got to play better. Like, I know that's so cliche. They got to play better. Randall, stop being an idiot. Stop taking rush threes. They got to stop with the one pass or the no pass possessions. You know, just coming up and chucking threes. Move the ball. You know what I'm saying? Get Randall in the post a little bit. In the mid post where he can turn and face. Not so high. It's more, more honestly, Randall's choice more than anything. And then, what else can I say? Barrett's just got to be aggressive. Try to go to the rim. And Hart and them got to make their threes. And Robinson's got to be more commanding. Come on, where's the Robinson that we know and love? But anyway, must win game for New York. Must win game for Golden State. Should be exciting. Going to be talking about those two games and Phoenix tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. I got to get off, even though I'd love to read more of the comments. But I got to get off. Shout out to everybody joining me from around the world. This, is, this live has shown me how many of you guys are coming from around the world. I see all you guys. Appreciate you all. Please make sure to comment on this video right now when it ends so the algorithms continue to be sharp. Peace.